Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Last week we looked <clears throat> at Matthew six nineteen through 24, and today the Lord has us in 25 through the end of the chapter. So here's what Matthew was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? Nor about your body. What will you put on? For isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the oven tomorrow... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we put on? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is that we have this call to not be anxious here in your scriptures. Father, we need this word. We need it so badly. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive this to the fullest and that we would live it out in our lives in the coming weeks for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, George Mueller was an extreme man. I don't know if you know George Mueller. He lived in the 1800s. And uh, he was in Britain, and he was an extreme Christian. And he's like no one you've ever met before. I'm going to tell you right now, you have not met a George Mueller. Maybe, maybe somebody's been close, but nobody's ever been all the way George Mueller. He established some orphanages in England in the 1830s, and they are legendary to this day around the globe. Everybody knows about George Mueller and his orphanages. And during the 63 years of his stewardship of these orphanages, he cared for some 10,000 British children. And how was he an extreme man? How was he an extreme Christian man? Well, he resolved at the beginning of the establishment of these orphanages that he would never, ever divulge the financial status of his orphanage system to anyone for any reason at any time. So if you're not familiar with George Mueller this morning, you might look at him with suspicion. Why is he so secretive? about the financial position of the orphanages. What was he hiding? 
What did he not want the public to know? (laughs) Was he wealthy beyond imagination? Was he crooked and swindling money from those that would give? Or was he just quirky and eccentric? He's one of those, maybe. Well, I'm going to tell you that he was devoted. He was a Matthew 6, 25 through 34 man all the way through. For you see, in the beginning, he pledged to never reveal the financial status of the orphanage so that that would not be a means by which people could be manipulated to give. He didn't want to manipulate people by asking for money and divulging the needs. He wanted only to rely on God and his promises for provisions from one day to the next. And I'm here to tell you this morning that what he wanted, oh boy, he got (laughs) he got it straight up because he never once, ever once shared where the finances were in this and God continually provided. And let me read you some entries from his journal that we have to this day. August 18th of 1838, he wrote this. I have not a penny in hand for the orphans. In a day or two, many pounds will be needed. My eyes are up to the Lord. And that night he wrote, Before this day is over, I have received from a sister five pounds. She had some time since put away her trinkets to be sold for the benefit of the orphans. And this morning, while in prayer, it came to her mind that she had five pounds. And since she owed no man anything, it would be better for her to give this money at once, as it may be some time before she can have some more stuff to sell to have money to give. So she therefore brought it to the orphanage, little knowing that there was not a penny in hand. And at that I had been able to advance, and at that point I had only been able to advance four pounds and fifteen shillings for housekeeping in the boys' orphan house instead of the usual ten dollars. And then on August 20th, two days later, the five pounds which I received on the 18th had been given for housekeeping so that today I was again penniless. But my eyes were up to the Lord And I gave myself to prayer this morning, knowing that I should want again this week at least 13 pounds, if not above 20 pounds. Today I received 12 pounds in answer to prayer from a lady who was staying at Clifton, whom I'd never seen before. And then on August 23rd, again today, I was without a single penny when three pounds was sent from Clapham with a box of new clothes for the orphans. Mueller was later to look back on the period from September of 1838 to the end of 1846 as the time when he experienced the greatest trials of faith in his orphan work. There were not years of continuous difficulty, though. Rather, there tended to be a pattern of a few months of trial followed by some months of comparative plenty. And during the whole period, according to Mueller, the children knew nothing of the trial that he had to bear up under continually. And in the middle of one of the darkest periods, he recorded this. These little dear ones know nothing about it because their tables are as well supplied as when there was 800 pounds in the bank and they have lack of nothing. At another time he wrote, the orphans have never lacked anything. Had I thousands of pounds in hand, they would have fared no better than they have for they have always had good nourishing food and the necessary articles of clothing. In other words, the periods of trial 
were so in the sense that there was no excess of funds. He never had a surplus of funds. And God supplied the need day by day, even by the hour. Enough was sent, but no more than enough. I could go on and on telling you stories about George Mueller. One, one that I want to share with you. There was a morning when the kids woke up and he did not have milk, bread, or eggs at all. And he got the kids up, they made their beds, they cleaned their rooms, they made their way down to the dining hall, and they sat at their tables. And he prayed. And it's well documented that morning here comes the bread truck and the milk truck and the egg truck. Someone said, I want to go provide the orphanage with food this morning. And they had food to eat that morning, and the kids never knew it. So I'm telling you, church, this morning, George Mueller was an extremely godly man, and he was so God-focused that he wanted to literally live out Matthew 6 and to not be anxious but to seek first the kingdom of God and have confidence that God would provide all that he needed by the hour and by the minute. You know, there's some passages of Scripture that are, that are difficult to preach because they really, really apply to the preacher. We are prone to be anxious. I know it. I know you are because I know I am. I, I, I face the temptation to be riddled with anxiety every day of every week. I'm not saying I fall into it, but the temptation is there. You can be anxious about a multitude of things. So as I preach this passage this morning, I want you to know that I am coming from experience on this passage. And I know that tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to face the opportunity to totally contradict what Jesus has called us to be about. This is the human condition. It's in our fallen DNA to be anxious. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. And we're going to look at why we need to not be anxious here in a moment. You know, in this room right now, I know for a fact that there are concerns and anxieties. Some of us are concerned about housing and where we're going to live. Some of us are concerned about employment and how are we going to make ends meet. Some of us are concerned about conception and can we have children or not. Some of us are concerned about adoption and can we afford it and is that government going to close before we get our child. Some of us are concerned about whether or not we're going to have a spouse and we're going to be married. Some of us are concerned about health and ultimately death. Some of us are concerned about the future. And what are we going to do when we get out of college? What are we going to do when we graduate from high school? What are we going to do when we hit 65? These are not sinful concerns. We are to have an eye towards these issues. But if we let them riddle us with anxiety, then we are in a place where Jesus says we should not be. We're not to be anxious. We are to consider these things with great wisdom and concern. And we're going to talk about the difference between those two this morning. And if you happen to be here this morning and you're not anxious, be careful. Because tomorrow something could change and you're ever on the edge of falling into anxiety. All it takes is one terse word from your boss at work and you spiral into anxiety. 
All it takes is for a major financial setback to happen on Monday morning. All it takes is a call from the doctor saying, we have the lab results, we'd like to meet with you next Thursday. So anxiety is ever crouching at our door. The enemy would love to have us riddled with anxiety. So I want you to come to this passage realizing that you're either in the grips of anxiety right now or you're on the edge of being there, and you need what Jesus is talking about in a very real way. So let's look at the passage. Verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Let's look at that word, therefore. You know, I want to teach you something real quick. When you read the Bible, there's some key words that you need to clue in on. And therefore is one of them. In fact, I like to say this. When you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what's it there for? (laughs) And so that therefore points us back to what I preached last Sunday. We are to have treasures in heaven, not on earth. We are to have a healthy eye, not a bad eye, so that our bodies are full of light. And we are to not serve money. We are to serve God. No one can serve two masters. And so Jesus is saying, therefore, if you store up treasures in heaven, and if you have a healthy eye, and if you serve God, do not be anxious. But I'm going to tell you that if you are storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal, you are going to be an anxious person. Because moths are coming, rust is going to happen, and thieves are breaking in. It's a guarantee. You cannot take it with you. And so Jesus is pointing us to this, where's your treasure? Who are you serving? God and his kingdom in heaven. And so therefore, because of that, he commands us to not be anxious about our life and what we will eat or what we will drink and not about our body and what we will put on. The world says this about worry. It's a rational response to a perceived need. The world says it's normal. Anxiety is normal. Jesus says worry is a sinful response to our circumstances. And we're going to talk about that this morning. The world and the words of Jesus are at odds. You know, we've got a massive consumer industry out there that's built upon the foundation of people being anxious. And it's probably thriving the most right here in the United States of America. If you look across America and you look in our bookstores and you look at our websites, you're going to see a multitude of self-help tools and books. You're going to see a multitude of prescription drugs that are prescribed to people to take care of their worries. And it is a multi-billion dollar industry. And scientists are now showing that that stuff doesn't do a bit of good. And I'm going to tell you this morning, the only solution to anxiety that works is Jesus Christ. And I want you to stay with me, and I want you to see how that's going to prove out to be true. But our society is full of self-help books. Last week, I read in a magazine an advertisement for pet psychiatrists. Okay? So even in America, we think our pets are riddled with anxiety. And we have antidepressants for animals now. Okay? So this is the way of the world. Anxiety is the way of the world. It's a rational response to a perceived need. And Jesus says, no, it's sinful. Do not be anxious. It contradicts 
who you claim to be. So I'm going to show you in this passage five reasons. I want you to write these down. You've got a place in your bulletin to write notes. I'm going to give you five reasons this morning of why we are not to be anxious according to Jesus. This is not according to Pastor Edward. According to Jesus Christ, five reasons why we shouldn't be anxious. The first one we find right there still in verse 25. Jesus says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So what is life about? We have to ask that question to begin with. If life is more than food and the body is more than clothing, then what in the world is it about? Well, just about every song that we sang this morning gives you the answer. We were created by God to worship Him and to enjoy Him forever. Forever. Not temporarily while we have breath on this earth, we were created by God to exist for all eternity. We're not temporary creatures. We are eternal creatures. We will exist forever. And God created us to worship Him, yes, now while on this earth, but God has made provisions for those that believe in Him to worship Him forever in the kingdom of heaven. And so we are created not for physical pleasure, Merely, although it's not bad to enjoy things of this world that God's created, but we are created to worship God for all of eternity. Life, we need to consider it like this. Life is a tool for God's glory. Is your life being used? Are you wielding your life and using your life as a tool to glorify God now and for all of eternity? That's the question every Christian needs to ask every morning when we wake up. What am I going to do today to bring the most glory to my Father in heaven? So we are stewards of this tool, this life, this body that God's given us, and we need to use it for his glory. And so I'm going to ask you, as you listen to the rest of this sermon, you need to have this question running through your head. Are you centered on God in your life, or have you centered your life on the material things of this world? That's going to show whether or not you're going to be an anxious person or not. So reason number one, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Life is about worshiping God for all of eternity. That's why we are not to be anxious about the temporary things of what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink and what are we going to wear. No, life is more than that. And so Jesus goes into verse 26 and he gives us an example. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So he shows us something basic in life that we all take for granted. We see birds all the time. Have you ever stopped, I hope you do this next week, and look at a bird and say, that bird doesn't wear a John Deere hat. He doesn't have all these implements. He doesn't have barns. He's dependent upon the Lord to have things available for him to build a nest. And he's dependent upon the Lord to go out and scavenge and find food. Now, he's active. He's not a lazy sluggard. He's got a beak and wings and feet, and he uses them to be fed. But he is dependent on God from one hour to the next, like George Mueller, like you. You think your cupboards are full and your bank account's full, but in any moment, that could all be flushed. You are dependent upon the Lord every waking moment of every day. You know, I've said this before, I think in this pulpit, one of the most dangerous things we have in life is direct deposit. 
We don't even touch our money anymore. It goes right into our bank account, and then we've got direct drafts, and they're pulling the money out of our account, and we're not even involved in handling the money and the provision that God's given us. And over time, we start taking that stuff for granted. That paycheck, it's like clockwork, and it's not. Job loss happens. Economies fall. Health concerns absorb all of our savings. So we need to realize that we're more like the birds of the air than we think. So God, Jesus gives us a simple example of birds of the air and shows us that we are to be recognizing that God provides for us every hour. Look at the next point in verse 26. After he gives us these examples of the birds of the air, he gives us reason number two that we should not be anxious. He says, of these birds and you... Are you not of more value than they? So I'm going to ask you this morning, just how valuable are you? <laughs> how valuable are you? This last week, <clears throat> I was meeting with my insurance agent. I've got to change some insurance things. I've moved from Kentucky to Texas and lost some policies with my previous employer. And it's funny, I'm working on life insurance issues, and you know, at one point when he's talking through scenarios with me, I realize what everybody has said in joking, wow, I'll be worth more dead than alive, right? You've heard that. That's a godless statement, by the way. Be careful. That doesn't work. That, that is a true statement if my treasures are on earth, right? But if my treasures are in heaven, no, that's not true. So how much are you worth? Have you ever thought about that in a humble way? Be careful. You can think about that arrogantly, but in a humble way, how much are you worth? I'm going to show you in the Bible how much you're worth. And you're worth a lot. First of all, turn to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1. Starting in verse 26, we're in the six days of creation here. Moses writes this in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To be made in the image of the creator means we are worth much. We're not some trivial creation thing that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow like the grass of the field. We bear the image of God. God will not neglect his image bearer and let him be run asunder. God does not tend to his creation like that. So first of all, I want you to understand that you are highly valuable in the eyes of God because you bear his image Every one of you, whether you believe in him this morning or not, you bear the image of God. You are highly, highly valuable. But let me look at the second. Let's look at the second evidence of our value. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. 
We're going to up the ante just a little bit here. Remember, we're asking the question, how valuable are we? Isaiah 53, verse 4. You need this verse coursing through your veins all the time. Isaiah writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed and all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all so number one we bear the image of God number two God died for us We're pretty valuable in the eyes of God. He created us in His image, and He died for us. Don't turn, just listen to Matthew 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First Corinthians six nineteen. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That price was huge. God died for his people. We are highly valuable. The third reason we're highly valuable just to be thorough, Romans chapter 8. Listen to, listen to Romans 8, verses nine, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. <laughs> so even creation is longing to see us right with God and to be adopted as sons for all of eternity. So creation knows how valuable we are. So I'm going to tell you this morning, I want you to leave here saying, in the most humble way, with a God focus, I am highly, highly valuable. Because God made me and God died for me, and creation is longing to see me adopted and right with Him again. So that's reason number two, why we should not be anxious. Then look at verse 27, number three, Jesus gets very, very practical with us. And he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So reason number three, anxiety does no good. It is a meaningless, worthless action. It will not accomplish anything positive for you. You cannot increase your days. People are born right on time in the kingdom of God. People die Right on time. God, there's no untimely death in God's kingdom. He knows our days from the very beginning. And Jesus will come again to gather His people right on time. And so our anxiety cannot add a single hour to our span of life. I've spent a lot of time in nursing homes. 
And usually it's the opposite. Here's how I'd write this verse for the people that I visited with in nursing homes. And which of you, by being anxious, can subtract a single hour from your span of life? Have you ever been in a nursing home or with an elderly grandparent who says, I just wish the Lord would take me now? (laughs) It's the other way. The anxiety is, I want to die. And I'm telling you that God is right on time in everybody's life. He's measured out our number of days And we do not need to be anxious about is it going to be too long or is it going to be too short. God is sovereign and he has measured it out. Psalm 90.12 gives us that. David writes, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Not a heart of anxiety, but a heart of wisdom. So number three, it does no good. Anxiety does no good. Number four will come up. Let's look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing, Jesus says. And he gives us a second example. We had the birds of the air a moment ago. Now we have the lilies of the field. He says, consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So really we have here reason number two all over again. Will he not much more clothe you if he clothes the grass of the field? You are of much more value than the grass of the field. And just notice that even in its brief existence, God clothes the grass of the field for his glory. And the grass and the lilies of the field are arrayed with the splendor of Solomon in all his glory, the richest man in the history of humankind. And we notice that grass, you know, grass is a lower form of life than a bird. So Jesus has taken us lower and lower to say God provides for the most basic things in this world. Grass is totally passive in clothing itself. It doesn't go put itself in some dirt or make that dirt. It doesn't go gather sunshine and cause it to rain on itself. It's totally dependent. And Jesus says if grass is totally dependent on the Lord and the Lord provides, then how can we not trust in him? And he says, oh, you of little faith. So let me, let me, let me introduce a topic to you here. You know what deism is? Deism is a perversion of Christianity. I don't even want to say it's, I don't even want to give it that much credit. (laughs) But deism, deists believe that God is like a great watchmaker and that he made this intricate watch with all these details and all these gears and maybe even some jewels on it and he wound it up and then he left it to run on its own and he lifted out. That is not biblical Christianity. God is intricately evolved in every detail on this earth. Remember the sermon on Job? Satan came to to God, and those things that happened to Job did not catch God by surprise. God offered up Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan said, he'll curse you if you touch his flesh. And God said, have at it. And so God is intricately evolved in every detail of our lives. We, we talked about persecution two Sundays ago. Persecution does not happen to the surprise of God. 
God grows his church through persecution. The ultimate persecution was the cross of Jesus Christ. And so God is intricately involved in everything in life. He is not surprised about our circumstances and what our cupboards look like and do we have enough food or do we have enough clothing. He's not surprised. He's ordained that we would be right there where we are. And he says, we of little faith if we are anxious. That doesn't mean no faith. He doesn't say that you are an unbeliever, that you have no faith. You have little faith. And I'm going to tell you that little faith is not believing all the time that God is sovereignly in control of all the intricate details of your life right down to this very moment that you sit here listening to these words. That's the God that we worship. That's the God who made you and who died for you. And he knows exactly where we sit. And we need to have big faith that he is on his throne, intricately involved in all that happens in our life. So Jesus then in 31 does a summary statement right quick. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And then we get reason number four, that we should not be anxious in verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Who are the Gentiles? In Jesus' time... The Gentiles were the non-believers, the people that were not God's chosen people, Israel. And he says, the unbelievers seek after all these things, food, drink, and clothing. They're all about the temporary. They do not have an eternal perspective. They are after the material things of this world. They are storing up treasures on earth. And they are an anxious, anxious people. Matthew 6, just turn over, look over on the other page probably in the Lord's, when the Lord teaches us how to pray. Starting in verse 7, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Here's the Gentiles again. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the Gentiles, they heap up empty phrases. And they throw many words at, at, at their gods that they pray to. And the picture here is prayers of anxiety. They're chanting. Okay, That's what Gentiles did in that time. They're throwing up chants, thinking if they get the right combination of words, something good's going to work out for them. Jesus says, don't be like them. Why? Reason number five. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Look what he said in the, in, when he taught us how to pray in verse 8 of Matthew 6. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you will need before you ask Him. God is not surprised that you need food and clothing and drink and health and medicine and, a more, and, a, and housing. He's not surprised. And you're of much more value than the birds of the air and the grass of the field. And He will provide. So, the five reasons, real quick are, number one, we are not to be anxious because life is more than the temporary things of this world. Number two, we are much more valuable than the birds of the air and He provides for them. Number three, we cannot do add anything to our life by being anxious. It does no good. And number four, unbelievers seek after the material things and we are not to be like unbelievers. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And then number five, God knows 
that we have these needs. And so we must not be anxious because he will not deprive us of our needs. So now look at verse 33. And this is the main point of Jesus' teaching in this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This ought to sound familiar from last Sunday. Do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And Jesus says here, seek first that kingdom of heaven. So have a healthy eye. Serve God and not money. And all these things will be added unto you. So we are to seek God's sovereign rule and reign at all times. And we are to seek a right relationship with Him. And worry is inconsistent with that. Because it's indicative that we've taken our eyes off of Him and we're looking at the things of this world. And worry in the bottom line doubts God's sovereignty and goodness. Jesus says in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst. That's what he's been teaching about throughout this whole passage. If we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, we will be satisfied. So what's the big deal? Why does Jesus forbid anxiety, and why is he so strong against it? Well, I'm going to give you two points. Number one, anxiety demonstrates little faith in God. Oh, you of little faith. It screams out, I don't trust God very much. It says God is out of our sight lines. And I'm going to tell you, church, that if we linger here in anxiety, that little faith will compound and it will become more and more small. And we will glorify God less and less and less. So number one, anxiety demonstrates very little faith. But number two, it's the opposite. It demonstrates large faith in something other than God. It's a symptom of an allegiance to a false God. Maybe our God is money. Maybe we are storing up treasures on earth, and anxiety is showing that we have a large faith in those things. It says we love the wrong things. We love the created thing in place of the creator. That's the problem with anxiety. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. Have big faith. Trust this sovereign God who knows everything that you need and will provide according to his will and according to his time. So now let's look at the conclusion in verse 34. We have another therefore. And because of everything that Jesus has just said, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So God has appointed to every single day prosperity and suffering. We saw it in the life of Job. We've seen it in the life of the persecuted saints. Every day, God in his sovereignty has portioned out some prosperity and some struggle for all of his people. And we are to not bring tomorrow's troubles into today because we'll deal with tomorrow's tomorrow and God will be God tomorrow too. God is God every day. And let's allow him to deal with those troubles tomorrow when tomorrow gets here 
and not today. It sounds just like what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus didn't pray for weeks of prayer there. Give us today what we need to, to exist, Lord, and then do it again tomorrow. I'll pray that again tomorrow when I wake up. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we obey Jesus' command to not be anxious? Well, you're going to hear some repetition here from previous Sundays. First of all, we need to understand that Satan wants us riddled with anxiety. You need to know that. Remember, the devil is a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. He would love to devour you in anxiety. And so we need to combat that. And the only thing that we can use, it's not self-help books, it's not prescription meds, our pets don't need psychologists. We need Jesus Christ as presented in the Word of God. And so the first thing we do is that we study God to know Him. We don't study God to figure Him out. <laughs> we study God to know Him and to have a relationship with Him and to call Him Father. And so what do we do? We memorize Matthew 6, 25 through 34. There's a challenge for you. But I'm going to tell you what, if Matthew 6, 25 and 34 is coursing through your veins, you are on the road to honoring Jesus' command to not be anxious. So there's some scripture that you need inside of you, always there, so that when you're squeezed, it's what comes out. So study God to know him. And that might mean memorizing a passage like this so that it's there in the time of need. Secondly, we need to pray to God to depend on him. You want to see my faith? Then you need to get a peek into my prayer life. If you could see my prayer life, you'd know if I had little faith or big faith. When we have little faith, we don't pray. Because God is not primary in our sight of vision. So we need to pray to God to depend on Him. Number three, we need to submit to God. And we need to say, where He has me, it is well with my soul. We sang that a couple of Sundays ago. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we need to submit our personal wills to God and to not cling to what we think our state should be. And then lastly, we need to gather together like this on a regular basis, and we need to live life together. He created the church so that we could stir one another up to love and good works. And that means that there's going to be times that we're going to need to, to cry on each other's shoulders, and we're going to be, there's going to be times we need to jab people and say, hey, set your eyes on Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God. Come on, lift up out of this despair. God knows your needs. And so we need to be gathering regularly. And in that, we also need to be sharing God with others, with an anxious world that doesn't know what's going on. We need to share with them the only solution to their anxieties, and that's Jesus Christ. So I would challenge you this morning to take a passage like this and soak on it and maybe memorize it so that you're ready for the trials that are heading your way that are certain to be coming. So that when you're squeezed, Matthew 6 would come out of you like it did in George Mueller's case. Let's go back to George Mueller. There was an occasion when some people came, some potential donors came to George. And they said, hey, how much money do you need? What's your, what's your financial status right now? We would like to help you out. and We'd like to meet your needs. So what do you think? And had their checkbook out in hand. 
And George says this, he says, Sir, our funds are deposited in a bank which cannot break. Our funds are deposited in a bank that will never run out. And little did that man know who had his checkbook out, the balance that day was a little better than 12 pounds. And so George Mueller said, I'm Matthew 6 all the way, and we don't need it. If you want to give it, fine, but we don't have any great needs because we serve a mighty God. So in the 63 years of Mueller's stewardship of the orphanage, listen to these stats. He received over 63 years 1.5 million pounds, and he never asked for a penny once. He never asked man for a penny once. He asked God to give us this day our daily bread. And he prayed, and he sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things that he could have been anxious about were covered by God. He never had a large bankroll. He never had insurance policies and hedge funds for his hedge funds. He had a God whose resources could never be depleted. And I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that we gather every Sunday morning to worship that same God. That God is our God. And let's use the example of George Mueller and the command of Jesus Christ to not be anxious and to worship God with all of our life. Let's pray. Father, you have touched on our core this morning. For in our heart of hearts, we are anxiety prone. Father, we want to live life free of that. We want to live life unhindered in our worship of you. So would you call to our mind all the evidences in our life of your great provision and in your perfect sense of time? And would you build up in us, amongst us, rock-solid Christians who stare uncertainty in the face and say, yeah, but I've got a God who's got a bank account that doesn't ever run out. And Father, I pray that as we live that way, others would look into our lives and they would see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, they would say, I need some of that. Who is that? How can I know him? And that you would build your church up of rock-solid saints who believe in your sovereignty and in your goodness all the time. And I ask this for your glory. And in the name of our Christ, amen.